Hey guys, and welcome to the Modern Mama Podcast. It's Melissa, and today we are here with a very, very special guest. Her name is Jean, and we have a very platonic friendship. Um, I met her through my husband, Manny, and she is an amazing just personality. Like, I can't describe her in any other way. Uh, we had the chance of meeting in person when Manny and I flew to LA for the day and she was able to show us around town. We had some great tacos and took beautiful photos. And so thank you so much, Sergene, for being on today's episode. You're welcome. Why, Melissa? It's great to hear from you. <laughs> right, because we're not doing video yet, but when we get there, we're gonna have to come back again because we have to see your face. Oh, yeah, I love it. Uh, and congratulations on starting a podcast. Thanks. It's long overdue, as I keep hearing from some people. So thank you. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, I've been following your Instagram for a while now, especially after you and Manny got married and um, has a beautiful daughter. And, like, I really enjoyed following your uh, your pregnancy. I was kind of like mine. So it was really cool. And, like, yeah, you just, I, like, I really think you should go all the way with it. Podcast, YouTube, great. Thanks, thanks. We're definitely. I hope. For, I'm hoping we can get back on YouTube. The YouTube, the recording business is a little bit too much for me right now. But <laughs> one at a time. We'll we'll do the podcast and we'll see how it goes from there. But thank you so much, Regine. Honestly. Um. So, do you want to tell us what's today's episode about? Because guys, she was the one that came up with this idea. I was lost. I was just kind of going off of whatever I knew. But Sergene came to me with this wonderful idea that we should do. So, Sergene, take it away, girl. This is your podcast for today. <laughs> hey, guys. So, basically, uh, I'm not a mom. Um, I'm pretty single. I'm not even expecting <laughs> or anything like that. But um, I loved uh, learning. And I really like being prepared. And so, basically, I wanted this podcast to be about questions that non-mothers uh, are afraid to ask, the questions that us girls don't really share, um, we just kind of like watch from, from a distance, the questions that, you know, make us uh, a little anxious, the questions that get us excited, all of that, all of the ingrid about pregnancy, childbirth, and a few uh, parenting tips as well. Sounds great. Sorry, I will mute myself just so that there's no extra sounds in the background, but yes. So guys, we're gonna have a boatload of questions. I had the chance to preview just a few of them and let me just say, they're juicy. They get straight to the point and they are honestly things that you don't know of until it's already done and over with and you're like, damn, I probably should have asked that or figured that out a long time ago. And so Sergi, whenever you are ready with your first question, we are prepared, I hope. <laughs> All right. First question: What are three surprising things nobody told you about pregnancy? I was so hoping you wouldn't start with that one. <laughs> that was that was the one question when I looked at it. I said, I don't fucking know. <laughs> um, okay, three surprising things. I wish someone told me about pregnancy, um, that nausea can last all day. Um, 
I did not know that. I mean, for for some of us who had the terrible mishap of dealing with HG, which I probably should have looked up that the way to pronounce the name, but it's, it's pronounced some way. But basically, what it is, it's um like that whole morning sickness, and so. I didn't know that morning sickness was not just for the morning, it's for the whole day. And it can last for, for some women, it, it can last for a couple of weeks. It can last for your whole trimester, your first trimester. So trimesters are broken down into like two, generally three months with the, you know, February and whatnot, but it's typically three months. Um, and so you can have it for that whole first trimester for three months, like I did, and that was hell um there's some women who are extremely unlucky that they get it for the entire pregnancy and then there are some women who get it from like they get it in the beginning the first trimester they don't have it the second trimester but then they get it as they get closer to <laughs> delivering the baby <laughs> so and then there's some people who don't get it at all those lucky people <laughs> Um, so I, I, it it all is dependent on, I can't even say, we don't know what it's dependent on. Um, there's just so many things that you can try to do to help. So that's one thing I didn't know and I wish I did know because uh, there's so many um, holistic methods to helping <laughs> reduce the amount of vomiting that you have. So I wish I definitely known that. Um, another one is how strong and intense your sense of smell becomes. I mean, what, no, that ass, like one second, you're just smelling like a regular person. And the next, you can smell what someone had earlier. Like I can smell, I could tell that you was with someone that had something that had garlic in it. Like it's Yes, and it's amazing, but it's terrible at the same time because, like, let's say someone's cooking, like, in your house. I couldn't be, like, my mother-in-law was with us. I could not be in the house when she was cooking. I just, it just, it was just too many scents. You know, it's just beautiful fragrances happening, but it was just too much at one time. Like, my nose was just too sensitive at some point. And so that was absolutely terrible. Because even things that you love, you'll hate. So if you like the smell of, like, I love the smell of living being made, hated it. I couldn't smell it. And because I didn't like the smell, you end up not liking the taste. Ugh, it's the worst. <laughs> but it's amazing. <laughs> it's a good and bad. It's a good and bad. Um, so that's... I had a friend that... Mm -hmm. uh, couldn't um, be around seafood, so I see what you mean. Mm, yeah, seafood, that, that is just thing. It's thing naturally, you know? <laughs> so it's like, it's just, you know, oh man, it's terrible. I uh, Don't go to New York if you're pregnant. Let me just say that. I did that a couple of times, and I was like, why am I here? It smells like garbage. <laughs> yeah. It, do not recommend. <laughs> um, and the third thing I would have to say is um, don't pay attention 
Yeah, I would, I'm, I'm going to say that. Don't pay attention. It's kind of two things. Don't pay attention to you, to the weight that you gain. And because of that, don't pay attention to your BP. And especially if you're a person of color, your BP, that's what it is. No, that's not BP. Is it? Body mass or something like that? Yes, there you go. BP is blood pressure. Thank you. Your body mass. <laughs> Do not pay attention to that. Um, because especially in the, you know, the, the medical profession, they will use your BP as a target to either do nothing for you or do the most and you don't require it. And so like, for example, we wanted to have a, um, a water birth and for other reasons, we, we, that just didn't happen. But one of the one of the things that was almost gonna stop me is, I was a I'm a, I'm a thick person, okay. For those that can't see me, or if you haven't checked out my Instagram before, I'm a thick girl. I've always been a thick girl. And so, before I was pregnant, I was 175, and that was even pretty big for me. I've never been. I'm not usually 170 or even 160, so that was already weird. But my BP was high technically for my weight and age or whatever and um that you have to have you have to be in a certain range of a bp before you're even pregnant to be eligible for a water birth that's crazy i just love, i always thought of that too water births that's so exactly and it's just like they don't put into consideration ethnicity cultural background just where you're from in general i mean if you're from a warmer climate, you're going to have bigger hips and, you know, you're going to have a fuller body or, you know, even just little things like the, the way you gain weight and where the fat deposit is when you do gain weight. It, it all depends on so many different things. And just because I'm 5'5 five five and 170 doesn't mean I'm overweight, which technically the BM says I'm overweight. So there's that. <laughs> oh yeah yeah and it's, it's you would think that they would want to especially because if you're if you're a bit thicker the buoyancy in the water would help you know make things feel easier but no they want it to be harder so that they can have a reason to give us a c-section so it all it all trickles down into the next thing you know Oh yes, <laughs> but that those are the, definitely the three things I wish I had known before having a baby or being pregnant. Yeah, I, I definitely learned a lot. I never, I the last two, I didn't know at all. Yeah, nasty. Amazing. Thank you for answering those. Oh, of course. Yeah. I'm just going to write my notes because I am running. <laughs> 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 next question. Uh, actually, this one is one of my, uh, I heard that you ate your placenta. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Okay, so there's a few ways. Let me just state this. I didn't just eat my placenta like raw. You can do that. I did have a cousin who did that. Like they had the placenta in a Ziploc bag and like they would cut it up and put it in smoothies and stuff. So you can do that. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, but you would just want to have it sent to someone so that they can sterilize it, of course, and then bring it back to you in its raw form, like probably dehydrated or anything. 
Um, and so I had mine um, capsulized. And so it was the whole process and, you know, it was basically like a little powder. You can open it and put it in smoothies as well, or teas and stuff, or put it in cookies, or whatever you wanted to do. And um, I mean, since it was a capsule, I didn't, I couldn't taste it. I didn't know what it tasted like, but it, it, it didn't have a smell. Um, I did touch my placenta and it felt so freaking, I just loved it. Like it just, uh, I don't even know how to explain like how it feels, but like if you ever, have you ever felt like a, yeah, yes. Okay. Imagine you had, like, you blew up a balloon, but you know the balloons with, like, the prints on them or something, like, some design on it? Imagine you blew that up, and then, like, you deflated it, and, like, you just ran your fingers on it. Like, it has, like, those kind of, like, it's a nice yeah. texture, yeah, and it's, like, slimy, but you would think, like, it's really tough to, like, cut through. Like, it's not, it looks kind of, like, squishy, like, you could just play with it, but it's, like, it's a, it's a heavy piece of organ <laughs> like it's a really oh big God. thing so um for some of us for some of us who are listening right now who don't think we're crazy we should probably say some of the benefits of <laughs> 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 if you no yeah because <laughs> we're not just eating random placentas okay but, <laughs> um there are okay so it's not you know i'm a very back to nature holistic person i mean if an animal can do this then why the hell can i can't i and so um there are there are benefits to it but there aren't you know if you're a person that it has to be proven by science you won't find that here um but you just have to see to me if like i just said if animals can do that we are animals i don't see why it's so unnatural for us to do that as well it's an organ that is so special it gets made every single time you get pregnant not everyone is the same or looks the same and so some of the benefits is that if you're breastfeeding it can help promote um, milk production um mm -hmm. it can it will help contract your uterus which is what you need so that it can shrink back down to size um it will help with increasing your appetite it can help reduce postpartum depression or anxiety as well. Um, it can help with um, losing the water weight because you, 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 literally everything triples in your body when you become pregnant. So blood, water, oxygen, everything. And so it can help with that process of like releasing fluids and stuff. That's really kind of like the most beneficial, I would say. Um, oh, yeah. Sounds good. Okay, because, you know, I mean, they don't sound bad. After that, the, most, of, most of the other benefits are depending on how you take, the, how you decide to consume your placenta. So if you do a capsule, my benefits were more kind of simple and straight to the point with mood swings and postpartum depression and um milk production and that kind of way but if you decide to have it raw and and it's just raw form and you are kind of like blending it up or you know you do it like that you roast it or something 
um, the benefits seem to to get greater into just just overall health in general with lowering blood pressure and helping inflammatory um, yeah. your systems and it, I mean it's to me when I saw it I was like why not like they they can't be like these look really good there there's nothing negative about eating your placenta neither so it's one of those where it's like do you just want to pay for this kind of thing but I mean I thought it was great I still have some capsules actually you just actually keep one for every child I am I am I am and I I have her like not her placenta her um umbilical cord like they did an art with it so it says love so I have that so it's cool like I have a little piece of her in every moment it's different but yeah God, I would say those are the benefits and you know it's cool it's like that. placenta that's definitely something uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if it's new Oh yeah, it's become more popular. I would say a lot of like uh, East Asian countries and um, South Asian countries. That's usually kind of where you would hear. At least that's what I, I've heard. Um, they practice that a lot with making it into smoothies and cookies, and like they really like your placentas something like you 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 have to cherish this um and so i guess it's becoming more you know more popular now and people are starting to become more open to it and i mean at one point you couldn't take your placenta out of the hospital so you know we're moving forward <laughs> we're, we're trying at least to move forward yeah very little <laughs> also, kind of on my next question, morning things. <clears throat> so, what are the benefits of going natural versus uh, using meds for childbirth? And like, why are new moms steering away from meds? Because I thought, I thought it was a great thing, you know, pain free, uh, maybe safer. But a lot of people um, are denying it now, and I'd love to know why. Hmm. Well, I mean, I can only speak from my personal experience and the experiences of people who are close to me. Um, so I'm, I'm going to start with, let's say, my mom's story, because she's had both. She's had two natural births. And I mean, not even say that, because all births are natural, unless you got the whole making in the womb business thing. That ain't natural now. <laughs> but... Um, so she's had two unmedicated births and one medicated birth. And um, she said that for the first two, things just kind of like happened. And for my birth, we was in Haiti. So there was, girl, you better get, get your, get it on and get it moving. <laughs> but for my sister, she was here. She was, my sister was born in Jamaica Hospital. And so um, she had a, she had an unmedicated birth mainly because she got there too late. By the time she would have wanted it, but uh, sorry. Yeah, so there so 
So I, for me, <clears throat> my choice to doing it, because I had to think about what my mom said, is that um, I, so many people have been giving birth for so long. I mean, if they can do it, if people are in the middle of the woods, the jungle, with no electricity, no nearby hospitals, no this, no that, if they can do it and have multiple kids, okay. shit, I could do it. So, like, that was that was always my mindset. Like, if I could, and this is an explicit podcast, so you ain't got to worry about certain things, but, like, if I could take dick, and do what I did to get to this place, girl. I can take, I can take that too. So that was always like my mentality throughout my whole pregnancy. Because I've had a lot of clients tell me like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so scared to, I have to have this baby." And for me, when I was in that position, like very quickly, I was like, "Yeah, the same way I took it in is she gonna have to come out the same way." So let's make you know, let's let's. Make amends with what we gotta do, and let's figure out how to how to do it in a way that's easiest for our body. And I think that's where a lot of people are coming into. We want what's easiest on our body, and so unmedicated has always been interesting to me because one, I don't like needles. There's already enough blood drawn and tests happening during pregnancy. And especially if you have a um, high-risk pregnancy, you even have more appointments. And so I already don't like having blood drawn. I don't want this big-ass needle in my back. And I have to stay still. And I'm still having contractions. And they might not even hit the right place. And it might not even work. And I might have back damage after. And I might have... Yeah. Child. <laughs> So all of those, I was like, you know what? I think I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I think I'm good. I think I'm good. And okay, but mm -hmm. just to be clear, unmedicated. So that, like, not even a Tylenol. That, and the, I was just about to get into that. Unmedicated does not mean like nothing, because I definitely took a little. I definitely had a little Tylenol PM. But the thing is, is that when you're pregnant, there's only, there's only so many options you have already. So Tylenol, Advil, aspirin, there's already things that just like, mm, no, mm, nah, you can't do that. So you already have limited options for what kind of pain relief that you can get. And then, you know, then there's the big one, the epidural. But you can definitely take a Tylenol. I did that, and I was able to take a quick little nap. That, to me, was amazing. And I needed that more so because I, I was just anxious. I couldn't. <sighs> Homegirl was just doing me wrong in the, the, the hospital. She done. It was just bad for me. Like, I didn't like it at all. <laughs> and so... Yeah. Nap, melatonin. No, exactly. Like, I had to really just get back. And I think another thing is with a lot of, a lot of people are going, are getting away from hospitals because, I mean, I got my, my itemized bill in the mail just to see, like, you know, they show you what your insurance, like your invoice, well, the insurance yeah. is invoice. And I got charged $22,000. Oh, my. 
charge us to bring humans into this earth? <laughs> like, yo, it still blows my mind. Like, and I, Sergeant, I tried to look at what was it that they were charging me for, and I'm like, what? Am I, I? I didn't understand it to be honest. Like, I was really trying to figure out how did it get to twenty two, because I I didn't do anything. <laughs> like, y'all didn't do anything to me neither. So they charge you for, you know, them checking your blood pressure. They charge you for that. Like, I didn't actually do that. They charge you. <laughs> okay. They charge you for having to have, you know, uh, <laughs> the IV drip. I didn't, you know, like little things. Like, they charge you for every little thing. And so the less people that are having birth in hospitals, the less likely you have the, the option to get in the epidural because you have to be in a hospital with an anesthesiologist and all these other people to have an epidural. Um, and so, you know, there's... <laughs> exactly. So if you're not there, you, you can't get it. And, um, I mean, d despite the, the, I guess, that, that fear aspect, and, you know, there's definitely few of few women who have made complaints about back complications and pain and you know from the site that they've had and i i know a couple of um women who had babies after me and they mentioned the same thing and so it's not impossible for something to happen um of course in the midst of everything else that is happening but um the chances are that i don't want to say the chances are low but it's not <laughs> to me and I don't even want to say that for me as a person I don't have a high pain tolerance I'm a weakling but it wasn't that bad you know like I think at the end of all of it like literally Sergene like even everyone in the room people who was on FaceTime watching the second Jenny came out, I literally was like, that wasn't that bad. Like, I literally said, I was like, that was not that bad. And they were like, right? And I was like, yo, it was like I had to take a big ass shit. Like, that was kind of cool. You know, like, and I'm the guy, like, I love gross stuff. So I love seeing pupils popping pimples and pulling out ingrowns and stuff like I love all of that so to me it was just like wow like my vagina just did this like what the fuck and I felt it I felt every every time my body said okay we ready for the next step I felt when my my cervix was opening I felt when she was descending down I felt when it's oh god like I just I, I would never have wanted to not feel how that felt like, you know? And and that's what medication would have done. You know, it would have blurred out that moment for me. Though, I can't, I don't know. I don't remember how it felt. I don't remember much of it. But I can say that to feel that connection that me and Jenny had at that moment, because it's just as much of a hard labor for, for the person having the labor as it is for the child going through the birth canal. It is not easy having to, you know, cause the uterus has to push down, the baby has to push itself 
up and then let's say the baby's flipped over or the the feet are facing the the exit of the vagina there's so many things and the body and the baby both have to move at the same time in the same moment for it's such a beautiful experience that i could not have not wanted to be a part of it like full on like i want to be here for this and that to me mattered more than any pain or anything because and another thing like through my doula and just classes is that the the more it hurts the closer you are to it being done and that was something my doula kept saying and that manny kept saying like you're doing really good she's almost here she's almost here like it's hurting great she's coming like just think about you know so ew, i love being pregnant <laughs> i just really loved the whole thing and so that to me was like my biggest my biggest thing with just being unmedicated um but it's also not something to be uh, ashamed of if you do decide to get medication um there's so many there's so many reasons why someone would have to get medication especially if you have a high risk pregnancy or if you which i'm my opinion I'm just against unmedical, non-medical reasoning inductions, which is when you kind of force the baby to come out prematurely. And not prematurely in the sense of like the age of the baby, but like the body wasn't ready to labor or get into that process. So you make it happen. And so with anything, as soon as humans start to can take control of it, shit just start going left. And so of course, <laughs> you're gonna need some, you're gonna need some pain medication because this is unnatural. So the body is doing more than it, it's hurting more than it would have if we had just let it be how it's supposed to be. Um, exactly. Cause she'll give you a break. <laughs> she will, she, she, she's not that savage. Um, uh, that and you know just you know some people just can't fathom the idea of being in that much pain and there's nothing wrong with that neither um, there was definitely a moment in the you know labor process where I was like I think I might want this shit you know <laughs> but as soon as I said that literally like I was on four I was like on all fours like on the bed and I was like, I think I might, I think I might want an epidural. And my doula was like, no, you don't. And I was like, no, I don't. You're right. I don't. <laughs> and then immediately, as soon as I said that, I was like, I have to push. And then that was it. I was like, what the hell? Was I like, girl, shut up. <laughs> like I was so close, you know? So that's, it was just like, that uh, was just talking. But uh, yeah, that I, I, that's just me for unmedicated. And not everyone's birth goes as, mine didn't go as planned. I mean, I, my birth was supposed to look completely different than what happened, but it was still a beautiful and loving and blissful process for me. But some women have such a traumatizing experience and birth where epidural is, you know, either the first option thrown at them or they, Especially during COVID, a lot of moms, especially first-time mamas, we got scared-mongered a lot. 
Especially if you, I mean, I was married, so that was like good. And being educated is a good look for you too. But you would be surprised in Georgia if like when I came into, like I had an office and I went in there and I mean, from the moment I walked in, it was already uncomfortable. But the way that they were treating me out the door was just really rude, really nasty. Almost like I was some like young 16 and pregnant girl with multiple baby fathers. Like that was like kind of like the, the, the energy I was getting. Like I was barely getting spoken to. Even if I was, they would not make eye contact. It was just so like, how, why, do you, why are you treating me like this? Until they read my paper and they saw, like, I saw them, they're like, oh, you're married? Is this his first child? Ex wow. Excuse me. And it's like, yes, it's our first, you know, or like, then they keep going down and like, oh, you're educated. Oh, you're, and then the attitude start getting a little better. They start talking to you like you have some sense. They start treating you with respect once they find out that you're married and you're educated and you're this and you're that. And it's just like, you should have treated me. But, okay. Sorry, y'all. We got interrupted by Zoom and their non-free calls, apparently. <laughs> but... <laughs> did I answer your question? Oh, no, yeah, you did. Okay, and just... You actually mentioned some things that leads to uh, my very important question right now. You mentioned your doula, which was a very vital part during your pregnancy. Can yes. you tell us... Uh, what's the difference between a doula and a midwife? Oh, yes, I can. So, um, a doula, my doula, at least, she, amazing. I'm also a doula, so that, it, it's just a fun question overall. But a doula is a non-medical professional. So that's really, 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 really important to know because they can't do anything for you. Like in the sense of if any complications was to arise or anything that would require for them to do something that a doctor would normally do, they cannot do it. So they cannot look inside of your vagina i mean they can if you want them to but they can't really tell you like they can check your dilation that's if you want them to and if they feel comfortable doing that because they they can get sued so they might not want to i wouldn't but um you know if i know you it's like okay anyways <laughs> there's definitely um this thing where you, I'm here as a doula, I'm here to be your trained companion. That's who I am for you. I'm basically a really smart know-it-all in all, and in most things, pregnancy, labor, and then postpartum. That's pretty much it. They're there to answer any questions that you may not have felt comfortable asking your midwife or OBGYN. Um, they're there to give you support. 
let's if you even if you have a partner or if you have families or especially if you don't have a partner or no families a doula is great to be that person for you in that time and really give you that mental support that emotional um, spiritual support for many doulas um, that holistic support and depending on the trainings that your doula decides to go into would depend on if they know like breastfeeding information what they know about um, nutrition and how you should eat during your pregnancy eat after pregnancy and stuff like that and so that's what a doula is a midwife is a health professional so that's a medical professional who cares for moms and infants so you'll normally see them either at a hospital or sometimes at a birthing center or something of that nature and honestly they're pretty they're they are like doctors so there's like mds there's like do's and then you can be a midwife and so the only difference between a medical doctor and a midwife is that a medical doctor like an ob your obstetricianist that's the person because there's there's the OBGYN, ob slash gyn so the ob that's the person that can deliver your baby and do like a c-section and check your cervix and stuff like that and then the gyn that's like your that's your gynecologist so she she just checking pussies and <laughs> and so you have you have people who are both OBGYN you have some that are either or so she will be there for your appointments throughout your pregnancy but she won't be that person won't be the one delivering your baby but your midwife can be there through your entire pregnancy and deliver your baby but if something was to happen like a c-section they can't they can't help um so that's the only thing or if you have a high risk birth so if you have a history of preeclampsia or high blood pressure or diabetes or any kind of disease or anything that you know where things might go wrong during labor or even in your pregnancy in general it would be they would prefer if you were to go see uh, ob just in case something was to arise but that's that's the only difference between those two <laughs> okay. yeah so like um, if you take it the OB, you absolutely have to be in the hospital no oh you can do it at home you so there are there are a lot more um birthing center locations that are partnering with uh, private OBs so that uh, like for my let's say my birthing center it was located inside of a hospital because the hospital had space so it was on a completely separate wing of the hospital and they had their own she wasn't they had their own GYN so she wasn't an OB but you know you can outsource people so they she'll be there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and such like that. So, you know, she'll have her other jobs or whatever, but you can definitely, it, and that depends on the birthing center that you find. A lot more are starting to fuse in with hospitals 
those are plus and a negative because you're still giving birth in a hospital. So it's a little weary. Like some of the hospital staff might try to overstep or might try to say that you can't do this and you can't do that. Um, our hospital, we didn't like the midwife. The only people that was in there was our team and I've known them since my entire pregnancy. So, you know, but every, everyone is different. is the worst way, the worst position you can ever be in. That's why I said that. Exactly. Yes. I learned that. I learned that. We said that too. Yeah. It's terrible. against gravity, but what are we doing? Exactly. And the only reason why, for those who don't know on the podcast listening, the only reason why women have been forced to give birth on their backs was because of King Arthur. I don't know which one. I don't know if it was first, second, or third, but all of them are weird. And he wanted to see his women give birth in full view in his face because we used to give birth in like a chair and you would squat and it's like pooping, which is why I felt that kind of experience. And he didn't like that because he couldn't see anything. And so he wanted them to be seated so that it could be a movie for him. Do you know how many women he killed in that position? Too many. Too many of his own women that were birthing his own kids. But that's neither here nor there, you know. They don't want to change it. <laughs> cutting procedure y'all it's called it's called that oh my gosh i had the you know when you like study for a word and then when you have to say it it's like nope it's oh my gosh episode episode yo and i the whole time i was like yeah yeah bro what is the name of this word episodomy episodomy fp it's something like that eps Oh my Jesus Lord, I'm gonna hate myself for this. But start with an E. Edipesiotomy. No, it's not that. Jesus. Anyways, I'm gonna stop. But <laughs> it does not have to happen. The pussy cutting procedure does not have to happen. It was actually a lot more popular um, like years ago. 
like when my mom had a baby, so like in the 90s, 80s, 90s and stuff. And it's because lack of, and I'm gonna be honest, lack of education on the, the female body. Um, even if you go back to what textbooks show you, even in anatomy, their model is of a male body. So they try to make little, you know, I mean, between dissecting people and stuff, they try to make small changes, but pregnancy in its own, the way that the vagina works in its own is still very new to a lot of people and especially just medicine in general. We don't know why things happen when they happen when you're pregnant. You know, like I had sex, a man came in me, now I'm creating a brain and a, a heart in my stomach, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's just the weirdest phenomenon that occurs and it happens every day for someone. <laughs> and so the reason why they used to do this is because of that, once again, fear. No, I don't want to say fear mongering because they were just truly ignorant on the fact. But they used to truly believe that if the baby was too big, it just, it would, it just, there was no way into the vagina. Now, this is not to dis discredit or say that for women who have more narrow cervixes or, you know, anything of that nature, like there's true and medical reasons why a baby just can't move through the birth canal. The baby's weight is not one of them. Like, you know, if we're going to be really honest, your baby, I've, I've, I've known people who before they were pregnant, they were 100, maybe 110 pounds, gained maybe 30 pounds during their pregnancy, gave birth to a 10 pound baby and didn't tear. So it's not about the size of your baby. It's about the elasticity of your vagina and your vulva, most, most importantly. Because <clears throat> what happens when they cut your damn vagina is <laughs> there's, different, there's different methods. So what they, in their mind, right, how they believe they're helping is they're saying, since you got a big-headed baby, we're going to cut you for you so that when you if, you, if you were to cut yourself, it's not as bad. That's, that was literally like their ideology. And so they figured, since you're going to tear anyways, we might as well do it for you. And then at least we can control how the tearing happens. And I hear they don't ask either. No. The, yeah, because there's so much happening down there. Some, you, I don't want to know. Exactly. So many times you really don't know what is happening down there. I mean, in the midst of all of this stuff happening, especially. But... There's different ways that they cut. Ooh, now we're going to get a little graphic. So y'all just clinch onto your pearls down there. So the most common is to cut from... All right, so your perineum is a very important muscle in your, vul in your vulva or in the surrounding areas of your vulva um, that should be stretched and used while you're pregnant. And so that's basically the area right below your, right below the opening of the vagina and that space between the vagina opening and your asshole, your, your anus, guys, sorry. And so 
they will make that tear there. There's one. That's one tear from right straight down, like from the opening down to to the damn booty crack. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. There's more. There's that one, and then there's Jesus. This one. This is the one that really get me. There's going up, y'all. They go up. Mm -hmm. So if they're going down, you know where that went. They went up now towards the clitoris. That one is that one is very evil, very medieval. <laughs> and then there's um, it's not really four; it's kind of two because you could pick a side, but you would cut towards the labia. No. Ah yes, yes. So if you ever feared that bikini wax strip ripping your labia, don't worry; the doctors will do it for you, baby. So <laughs> there's that one, and I feel like. All of them are just absolutely atrocious. But that one to me is like, oh, because how do you really like heal that? You know, like it's just so flappy down there. Like, oh, oh, no. So it's not, it's not. And so they would they would do that. And then that's I don't know if you've ever heard about like the husband stitch. That mm -hmm, girl. So there's this thing called the husband stitch, where, especially in cases where they did the episode, uh, I ain't even gonna try it. Where they did the procedure where they had to cut your vulva. A lot of men, because in the midst of all of this happening, your concern as someone who only had to come in me is if my vagina is gonna return back to its regular tightness. And depending on the kind of small-minded doctor you have, they will add in another stitch to make it feel like it's tighter. The problem with this is, and I've asked plenty of women who have had the husband stitch done to them, most were not aware is that it hurts so fucking much and that it actually can damage the tissue inside of your vagina, making it completely uncomfortable to even have sex anyways. So it's, you know, when you want to ruin a good thing, that's exactly what y'all get. Not the women, because poor Poor women. But the men that ask for a husband stitches, I pray your dick never sees light again. I really do. Um, yeah, and so, trust me, just horrible. Um, but yeah, there's... Okay, and the crazy thing is, I mean, we've all, we should all, let me not even say this, if you are having intercourse with someone who has a vagina, the least you should know are the bare functions of a vagina. And I say vagina because we're talking about penetrative sex, so we're talking inside the vagina, not just the vulva. We're not playing with the clitoris here. We're going in. If you don't know that the vagina is a muscle and that it can contract and open up 
wider and go back. If you don't understand that, if you're still in that mindset where you're thinking you can break down walls and enter people's stomachs and stuff, like it just sounds really crazy and it sounds like you shouldn't be having sex. That's all I'm gonna say about that because what? <laughs> have a daughter I was able to skip out of this question <laughs> so I was really happy because it was something that was mentioned during our our pregnancy and something that I found I my my decision is very firm and I will not change it I don't care and Manny's decision is very firm if <laughs> And, and I, I, I could take his point of view into consideration because you're the one that has to live with it. You're the one that knows its function and how it feels to have one and so on and so forth. But that being said, I ain't gonna put nobody business out there. But let me just say that a lot of Caribbean men are not circumcised. So for me, it's never been an uncomfortable thing because I've, I've always known that you can have an uncircumcised penis and you can have a circumcised penis. So that was that was one thing. But my personal opinion, remember podcast listeners, personal opinion is that if it came with the skin, leave it fucking on. Yeah. I and I always try to flip it. And for people like, okay, so are you okay with female circumcision then? Exactly. No one ever is. But, I mean, it's the same concept. It was there already. Why are you trying to change it? And let me just say how they continue to fear monger us. And, and they create this societal view of how men should look and how women should look from the beginnings, from the second you come out. Your dick should look like this thing. And it, it, it finds me, it, it makes me a little weird because why are we thinking about the appearance of a little baby's dick that he's not going to be using for the next 18, 20 years? Where, where are we? And I've literally had moms and fathers, but mostly moms, because that's who I'm talking to a lot, tell me. Well, I, I don't want, I never wanted to suck no uncircumcised man dick, so I don't want my son to have to deal with that neither. What the fuck are you telling me right now? Like, you're thinking about your son's getting his dick sucked and you want it to look good for somebody. Like, it just starts to get really weird and really insensual, and it, it's, it's never really a good reason why someone decides to do it. Now, besides religion, I'm not even going to touch that territory. If it's your religious 
belief, by all means, do whatever you got to do, buddy. But if it's like a personal, oh, I just want it to look normal. It looked normal when it came out. That's why it came out with skin. Okay? But besides that, because I know some people are going to be like, but the doctors, the doctors say a lot of shit and half of the stuff they say is wrong. But let's talk about what doctors claim can happen if you decide to not circumcise your son because they will use this to scare you. One, the foreskin will be so tight that it will squeeze blood circulation to the tip of yours of the boy's penis, which is a great reason to have that foreskin removed just so you won't have complications later. Yeah, very dramatic. That probably happens to maybe less than 10% of people with penises. So let's just, let's throw out that number. Then the next one is they have a lower risk of STIs, UTIs, and lower risk of giving their female partner cervical cancer because cervical cancer is caused by untreated and undiagnosed HPV, which is an STI, and an STI left untreated can cause cervical cancer or syphilis and such. You know, it can get worse. That is only, is only about 10% of yeah. the population's problem. One thing, but exactly. No, really. And so that's literally the only reason. And that's some of the reasons I've heard people say, well, uncircumcised men's dick is nasty. They don't really get it clean. They're smegma, which is like, if you never clean your dick and you don't like... Exactly. And let me just, let me just say something. I'm pretty sure, yeah, Sir Jean, you can agree. If the man is dirty, he dirty with an uncircumcised dick or a circumcised one. If he don't wash his dick, he don't wash his dick, period. It does not matter if he's uncircumcised or circumcised because I'm pretty sure most of the population of men who do have STIs and STDs are uncircumcised. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the fear that we have that these, that freaking gonorrhea is just trapped under the damn foreskin of the dick is really weird. And it's really, it's a fear monger again to try to get people to assimilate to this way of thinking. And we don't have to do that. If you teach your, if you teach your little person with a penis, how to properly clean it, take care of it, pull it back and wipe it down and all actually have a good sense of hygiene, you will never have to worry about that. That's just it. Why, why is it so hard to teach your kids with penises how to take care of them? And if you're so worried about the future sex lives, I'll put one little tip out there. Uh, Men with uncircumcised penises actually enjoy sex more than men who are uncircumcised because you lose a lot of nerve endings when you cut it. Yup. And I can attest to that and the past partners I've had before my husband. (laughs) (laughs) And do I better? 
No, they do. And I don't I don't know if it's just me. Maybe I'm just talking on my ass. But I feel like the sex I've had with guys who's who had no circumcision, I don't know. For me, it felt like it was better. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I've been wondering about, so, uh, you know, in the mod- in modern days now, I'm not sure back then as well, but especially now, women are having babies later than ever, which is great. <laughs> you know, first one I and, you know, kind of focusing on a career right now. So I know there's this thing called IVF and, like, and the freezing of the eggs and, you know, well, just little alternatives like that in case you're trying to, I don't know, maybe properly plan a pregnancy, if that's what I'm looking to say. So, do you know anything about that? I do. I do, actually. Um, okay, so I know you had another question about freezing eggs. And I'm going to put these those two together because they... They're kind of similar. Yes, they're, they're, they, they follow... They, they're just there together and so IVF is the full name is in vitro fertilization and the vitro means outside of the womb and so that's really you were able to fertilize it outside of the womb and then you put it back in so that's the in vitro process um in vitro IVF let's just cut it by short name because Hold on, I wanna. Okay, yeah. So for IVF now, there's a few kind of like different ways, not different ways, but different methods that you may wanna try with IVF, different medications and hormonal processes. But the typical process is um, you get your. I don't even know how, because they don't show how it happens, which is really frustrating. But how they say it sounds or feels is the same way that you would get a pap smear, is that you would have a ultrasound or like a camera going up towards your ovaries to collect some ovium, which is like an egg. And so they will remove the eggs that are, I guess, mature or at least in the maturing process or they will die. Um, And they will take a single sperm and mix those two together and hope that it grows and multiplies at least. Like it becomes, it, it starts the embryo process. And then it gets transported not transported, (laughs) it gets transferred back into the uterus to hopefully be implanted and not rejected, not rejected because the uterus can do that. Um, uh, But hopefully it gets implanted correctly into the uterus and then you have a baby, you know, you know, the whole fetus and stuff like that. With IVF, it, they, they say it's not painful. Um, I, I know from 
friends and family members who have had it done, they said that the most painful part is the the hormonal and hormonal injections, and which is for most people getting needles is usually the worst part of any procedure. Um, but after that, it's similar. It's fairly similar to getting a pap smear, as I mentioned earlier. So that's IVF. Very at this point now, it's a very normalized procedure. A lot of women get it done or at least start the process and then they end up having um, babies, I guess, naturally, just on their own. Yeah, you know, like just doing it on their own. But the egg freezing business, because it is a business and it needs to be seen as one. Egg freezing, and I'm going to also tap into this other thing is the idea that our eggs like spoil or like get rotten after like a certain age. Now, the eggs that we were born with are the eggs that we have. That we, we don't know how many eggs we're born with, but we know we're born with a lot. Some less than others, but there's generally a good amount of eggs to be able to go through at least 30 years of having a menstrual cycle and a few pregnancies or however the someone's body will do it but the process i don't know because as i was reading it i was like what and so <clears throat> the cost of doing freezing your eggs is about 30 to 40k it gets broken down yeah it gets broken down into cycles because you have to wait for your period to come because that's when your ovaries are like you know they're getting ready they're hot and ready now and so um most people only do one cycle so you'll get as many eggs as you can just at one time and if it ha if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't um but every cycle every time you decide to take eggs to freeze them it might cost you around 15k to 20k yeah um i decided to write down some of the places that are like most expensive to cheapest new york being the most expensive at 17k per cycle that you're doing ivf yes new jersey is also 17k chicago is 16 and atlanta is also 16k now most women do only one or two egg freezing cycles um obviously the younger you are the more eggs you are you have um, the older you are, the less eggs you may have. And so if you're older, a lot of women who are older, like past and not even like 35, because that used to be like the imaginary cutoff time for women for some reason. But I mean, women are pushing past 45 and they're deciding to freeze eggs um, because you can. I mean, you can you can have your first child at 40. Yeah, I'm happy after Yeah, and exactly, and there's nothing wrong with that. Now, if it's your second and third child, the chances, you know, because you, your body has already done it before, it's like, okay, it's looking better. But there's, you know, my mom had my, my brother at 43. And, you know, and so it's it's not it's not impossible. It may, it, it may be different. You know, your body ain't as agile as, it, as a 20-year-old, of course, but... As if you if you have a healthy lifestyle, habits, and diet, 
your you know your body has its own age your your astronomical age is not always your body's age and so how you treat your body will determine how old you are and so with that um age is definitely a factor in this process at least um and so I asked someone how was the process because they have went through the egg freezing process and they said that the whole process, because they only did one cycle, the whole process took them about four months and um, that the worst part was the hormonal injections because you have to do it yourself. And it's like, I, I, I forgot what she said. I think it's you have to do it at the where your ovaries are. So they'll show you where to like inject it. But she said that that was the worst part because you would end up having your um, like your ovaries kind of like not swell up, but you want them to get like big and juicy, you know, like ready to be <laughs> ready to be violated by some little vacuum. So you want them to just be like awake. That's kind of how I be taking things like animating them because I have to see this because there's no videos to show you how this happens once again. And so that's the whole process, at least for egg freezing. So you're looking at about 30 to 40K for the entire process. Um, and then... Okay, and then, hold on. And then if you wanted to add in IVF, IVF on its own is between 10 to 13K. And then they don't even, they don't even give you the kicker of all of this. You have to... They charge you to store your eggs. Storage fees too? Yep, and so your storage fee, because I checked out this one specific place, you have a minimum of two years storage. Um, and if you do three years, you get you paid $3,150, $3,150 for seven years, $2,500 for five years, $1,650 for three years, and or if you want to do it annually, it's $600. That is a business for sure. Yep. Oh, wow. <clears throat> and so that's how I look at that. Now, for a lot of people, this is their only option and what they, they believe to be something that needs to happen with them. And, you know, they, there's no other way. And so... You know, if, if that's how you were to feel, then by all means, do what you feel like is necessary. But, it, you know, just look at all the costs. Look at the, the upside, the downside, the positives and the negatives. Um, there's so many things that can just happen. And so that's, that's the process IVF and uh, egg freezing for you. Can actually be a, a reason. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I was personally right. I really, I thought that was it. I thought, wow, like, it's so, um, 
of like the post <laughs> post pregnancy life just yet. They're not exactly pointing to it. But yes, what are some of the ways that someone can prevent it? And does it happen to everyone? Like, is there a <laughs> okay <laughs> all right so let me let me get into what postpartum depression is ppd is more because there's baby blues and then there's postpartum depression baby blues happens for just a few weeks and it's more so of you just being unhappy you know, you may be a little bit anxious, especially if you're a new parent, but it's not just for new parents. You can be, you have five kids and you still have baby blues or postpartum depression. But um, I'm just saying like the the reasons why you may have it may be toward, more towards like a new parent where you're feeling anxious. Um, you may be, you know, just normally depressed. So being pregnant, is such a miracle in itself from how it happens to the entire 10 months to having a baby the whole process is a miracle and so everything in your body flips everything from literally head to toe and I mean, for, for me, for example, I, I didn't have hair my whole pregnancy, which was great. But, um, I mean, you're, you're losing... My eyesight was getting a little worse. I got pregnancy gingivitis, which actually continued after I was pregnant because I'm still breastfeeding. So my hormonal levels never truly regulated. Um, you, you, you have all this extra fat and weight and it, you don't look like you. Your nose is just the size of Mount Everest. You feel so tired. <laughs> there's, there's this unknown foreign substance in your body taking all of your air, your blood, your food. It's pissing in you, shitting in you vomiting it's just doing a lot some people have placentas where the baby's like sitting on your back there are some people where the baby just loves the area by the ribs okay there's some there's some people there's some women people let me be inclusive there's some people who have a prolapse which is when like Let's say you have like a a, a net. It doesn't have to do with your butt. No. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I mean, yes and no. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> so we have like a we have like a net, and it holds up your bladder your cervix, your uterus, I mean, and your small intestine, mostly like your rectum. And so when you're pregnant, all of that gets moved up, word. And so what can happen is that you have an ab, your abdomen can literally overstretch and break. 
so that you literally like you know when you want to you can't do kegels this is why there's so many commercials of people like oh i pee when i laugh that's that's what that is that's a that's a prolapse because your bladder like imagine that net again right imagine your bladder poking its little head through one of the holes so it's not sitting nicely like a trampoline it's now started protruding down and that can happen with your rectum that's what hemorrhoids are so you can have hemorrhoids fun um <laughs> you can so many things and god forbid you have a traumatizing birth you may have had an emergency c-section um, you, your baby may have been born prematurely or with complications, or you may have been induced and you, it wasn't necessarily your choice, but you didn't know how to voice your, your opinions or what you want, or you didn't know what you can or can't do. Um, so there's so many reasons why someone would get, I mean, just with regular depression, there's so many reasons why it's the same thing. It's just depression after this particular traumatic event. Because it is a traumatic thing for your body to go through. As much as it's, we try to make it normal, like, you know, our body having a, us going through a period, you know, our menstrual cycle and our, our body literally prepares for this moment every single month. But it's different when it actually has to go through it. And so postpartum can happen to anyone. Does it happen to everyone? No. Um, how you can help prevent it? It all begins with you, your partner, and your village, your community, if you have one. I think it's gravely important for every person even if I don't live in a state with family, it's only me and my husband here. And so it's really easy to get stuck in that, oh, it's just me, it's just us. I have to do it on my own. Cause I, cause we do, you know, like I can't just be like, oh, someone come and babysit for a second so I can just take a break. Like there's none of that. And it, it's hard, especially if you live somewhere where you do have family and you're not close with them. Or if you're in my case, you don't have family, or in your case, you're on the other side of the country, you know? So your family's far. Um, you need that community. It, that is probably, not even probably, that is the most important thing about being pregnant, being a parent, being a mom, is having community. I've, I have a friend who tried to take her life twice because she didn't have that community. And I was I was young, so you know, I couldn't really what you want me to talk to you about. But now, especially now that I'm a mom and her kids are a lot older, we have conversations and we get to talk about it and this these are the things that she says she wish she she had someone to talk to and ask her questions and educate her. Help her out. And I know a lot of women who will isolate themselves, not on purpose, but you know, you never want to feel like you're a burden to someone or like you're putting your problems on top of someone else's problems, especially if you're an empath. You don't want um, to feel like that. You think of other people a lot. Pregnancy is the one time in your life that you can be absolutely selfish and no one should be able to give a fuck. Yeah, absolutely. 
And it's important to have people around you that understand that concept too. Like, I was only like three, four months pregnant. My mom wouldn't even let me carry a tray of food. Like, I couldn't. Melissa, if you don't sit down, she down. Like, I couldn't do anything. And I, I mean, I loved it. But <laughs> I could be a princess all day long. But, oh, Jesus, Lord. I hated it when it came back to it. Because she came back with a vengeance. Like, bitch, you have me here again. And so it's, it's really important. And I mean, you can find a community. I think, you know, I mean, everyone's circumstances are different. But I'm the kind of person where if I can change my circumstance, I will. There's a lot of things, especially being pregnant, because I'm a planner. I didn't expect to get pregnant when I did. But I wasn't going to let that be the reason why I isolated myself or I didn't talk to anyone or I didn't make connections or I didn't get to know other people who were pregnant. I had the chance, though we may not be friends now, to go through my pregnancy with a young lady whose due date was exactly a month before mine. And her son and Jenny are a month apart. Like his, is, his birthday is April 7th. Jenny is May 7th. And so we did our pregnancy together, and that was an amazing experience. Like, I was able to talk to her. We we were both experiencing new things, and it was just like, did you have this too? No, damn, wait, why is this just happening to me? And it's, it was amazing. And like I said, though we're not friends now, I still cherish that moment I had with her because I, I will only ever have a first pregnancy one time. Right. And though every pregnancy is different, that was that was a time that I can never get back. And you know, you you just want at least if you can, cause like I mentioned, so many circumstances can allow women or birthing people to literally not have that happiness. If your partner is not a good person, if you're in an abusive relationship, or you are dealing with financial struggles or economic struggles or anything of that nature. But there's still so many things and programs that will help you. Um, it's just up to you to, I don't even want to sound like that because even finding things, I mean, you, you like to think that everyone has access to Wi-Fi and internet, but even that necessity that we think is basic is difficult for people. And so, you know, I mean, I would just hope anyone who is watching or, I mean, listening, that if you know someone who may be going through something like that, it's just to talk to them and let them know that they're there and that you they can be selfish because we get thrown in our face so much that once you become a mom, you don't matter. It's just about the baby, the baby, the baby, the baby. And one thing I'll say that kind of made me sad, after I had Jenny, when I was pregnant, Everywhere I went, everyone asked me, how are you? How are you? How are you? How are you feeling today? How's the baby treating you today? Everyone asked how I, how I was. The second I had Jenny, how was she? How was she? How was she? How was she? I was not here anymore. And I remember even Manny, he said he would, you know, we had this conversation before, and he would always say, like, oh, how are my girls? 
How are my girls? How are y'all? How are y'all? And it's very sweet, really cute, love it. But I told him, I don't like that. And he didn't understand why, and he, of course. And I'm like, I appreciate it and I love that you're thinking about us and stuff, but I'm separated from her. Yeah. It's not y'all. You can ask how is she and ask how am I. Because she could be good, but I'm dying. So does that not matter as long as she's fine? Because that's a lot of people's realities. Oh, well, your baby's fine. You'll make it. You'll be good. Just just take a shower. You'll be fine. And it's like, how am I supposed to take a shower? I'm, I can't even step in the shower without hearing her crying. And she's sleeping, bro. Like, what do you mean? You know, like, you. It, it's a different realm when you step into motherhood. And... This is why I love this conversation that we're having because no one was talking to me like this. No one was giving me the tea. Everybody had this mentality, and I don't know if it's a Caribbean thing, but everybody has this mentality of you'll see when you get there. And I hate that. Me too. Oh, no, I'm saying George. Okay. And. Super nice. I always call myself Georgette because I want to know what's going to happen. And not do I want to know what's going to happen so I don't do it because shit. I've definitely, I've met people where they're like, thank you for convincing me to have not, not have kids. And I'm like, well, you're welcome. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I would want for the next woman or next person who wants to step into this community to be as informed as possible so that you are aware of what may or may not happen. And I know this because there's a lot of people. Let me just make this clear, too. There's a lot of people, especially when I was pregnant, that will try to make it seem like whatever they went through is what you're going to go through. Like, I've had women that was like, oh, you're going to definitely get heartburn your whole pregnancy. Oh, you're going to throw up your whole pregnancy. Oh, you're going to spit your whole pregnancy. Oh, you're gonna... I mean, I'm like, oh. All of this is gonna happen to me. I had I had the best pregnancy. Despite those first three months of throwing up like there was no tomorrow. Once that second trimester came, I was like, the hills alive. I was just on the moon. And so the village, who you talk to, the amount of knowledge that you choose to get is really important. I had my midwife tell me that we are not <laughs> yes, I had a midwife, but I had her tell me that we are, she and any other medical professional, that they are not here to educate you. You come with your questions, we will answer them for you. But after that, that is where our job stops. We are not here to give you the list of A to Z of the things that can happen, the things that may not happen, the things to do, the things to not to do. That's not their job. They're seeing a bunch of people every day, all day, they cannot walk around with that kind of information in their mind every single second. So do your research the same way and the same energy a lot of moms or parents take to look at strollers, to buy $1,000 strollers and cribs, to get new cars, find out which car seat's the best for my baby car. The same amount of energy that you put into finding out your photographer for your baby shower <laughs> pictures or your baby announcement photos, or the same energy that you put into decorating for your baby shower. 
Put that same energy into figuring out how do I flip my baby if my baby's facing the wrong way? What do I eat to promote breast milk? How do I tell my doctors to stop asking me if I want to be induced if I know I don't want to? How do I reduce tearing in a natural way? How No, you know, those are things that I had to look that up. I didn't have someone come and tell me these things. Now, I'm not going to sit here and do that to the next person. But at the same time, I'm not Dr. Google. You have to, you know, there's only so much I can tell you. After that, you have to do the research yourself. Read the books. Look at blogs and articles. Whatever it is that you need to do, but it's your pregnancy. This is your body that this is happening to. You can't just fuck around with it. You only have one body. You know, so if you just willy-nilly don't care, then that's your body, once again, your choice. Okay, but you also can't be angry at the world because of your lack of initiative to learn about what's happening with your body and your baby. You can't blame the providers and stuff for not telling you when you never went to them with the question. You can't be mad, you know, so you it's a it's it's a back and forth thing. The amount of effort that you want doctors and providers to have for their care, you have to have for your own care too. Absolutely. And so some things that you can do to prevent what let me not even say prevent because I ain't nobody a witch doctor here. But things that you can do to at least reduce how heightened it is is um drinking lots of water of course definitely want to hydrate ourselves but also is what you're eating when you're pregnant a lot of things you may not want to eat like i love avocado i couldn't have avocado my whole pregnancy like i had one bad avocado and it just scarred me i said nope mm -mm. Paladin. okay does that <laughs> listen and so you want you want healthy fats. I'm gonna say that again for those in the podcast who thought I just said fats. Healthy, healthy fats, y'all. Okay, healthy guys. And so, what are healthy fats? Olive oil, avocado oil is a lot better than olive oil. So if you're gonna do one or the other, go for that. Or coconut oil, really, really great too. Don't do coconut oil while you're pregnant though. Don't just consume that. Or castor oil, too. A lot of people want to do that to induce. Don't do that. It'll give you bad diarrhea. Those I ain't warn you. Um, <laughs> fish, but not just any fish. So, like, fish with high in um, omega-3s and oils. So, like, sardines, tuna, snappers, salmon. Um, I think there's one more I might be missing, but, like, Fish that, you know, they're doing something. They're just not swimming in the sea for fun. Um, eggs, and definitely different kinds of eggs. You can do like quail eggs. Those are really good. Um, yes, quail eggs. Um, there's different kinds, but eggs. You want that protein, lots of fat in that. Um, seeds. So if you want to, you could do chia seeds, high in fatty acids, Flax seeds, 
amazing and they give you protein which helps with baby's development and even after protein for yourself you need that to build yourself up hemp seed top tier those three seeds amazing i took them all throughout my pregnancy even till now i just love those seeds and i mean 14 months later i'm still exclusively breastfeeding so i can say that they're doing pretty good okay they're doing pretty good um, coconut water for some electrolytes and just pure hydration, but <clears throat> more so besides, you know, how, how you're eating, because you, you can kind of tell if what you're eating is not really helping all the, all the way. Okay. But the main thing, especially about postpartum depression, which we, we mentioned is it's your mental space and your emotional space. Yeah. Who you put put around you during your pregnancy, during your labor, will transpire how after your labor happens. I was very serious when I got pregnant that I said that I don't wanna be upset in my pregnancy. I wanna have a happy, go lucky pregnancy. And I did. I sought out to make sure that I was happy. Did I have some, you know, we all have our little ups and downs, whatever, but Overall, 99% of my pregnancy, I was happy as hell. I loved it. And because of that, I made sure it was my, I was actively making sure that anyone that didn't serve me in a, in a healthy manner, anyone that didn't care for my well-being while I was pregnant, didn't check in on me, didn't, nope, you weren't concerned, I'm not concerned. I'm going to, because I have to focus. I have a mission to complete because you can easily perish from labor. I mean, it's the closest, labor is the closest moment to death you'll ever get. And a lot of people reach it. And so you really want to get yourself in that kind of mental state. But I also really had to see what was the life that I had growing up and what do I want? or accept for my child's life? And who, who who are the people that can help me get to that place? And so, I mean, for my family, literally for the first, let me see how old she would have been. For the first six months of Genevieve's life, I was not alone. I was never alone. I, for the first two months, my mom, my sister, my brother, my um, an ex-friend that I had, my aunts, Manny's mom. I, I had people for the first two months in the house, like full-fledged. Like I didn't touch a thing for those first two months. I didn't cook. I didn't clean. I didn't do nothing. I was just chilling. Yes. <laughs> I loved it. And I mean, as I should, you know? <laughs> um, and then after that, my brother stayed. And I mean, he's golden child. I, I didn't have to do anything. He would come every morning, check on me and Jenny. Do you need anything? Do you need a haka? Do you need a wipe? Do you need it? So I was like, amazing help. And I think if anyone can, if you can have that, 
have that. If you can't have that as a in family, hire a doula. If you can't afford a doula, try to still no honestly. You know, try to find communities because there are women who will just come and help. But I mean, when we were, when I needed our doula, we were I like there was a lot of transitions that were happening. Like we were just trying to move into another place, so our money was short at that moment. And I mean, our do our doula was able to do it for way cheaper than anything. So you never know how much someone will do something for um, until you ask. So if that's one thing for you, like cost of a doula and whatnot, always ask. But I think that those are definitely things that help with postpartum depression. After that, anyone who says that they've had it, if you talk to them and you ask them, how was their environment? How was the birth? How was their labor? How was after birth and labor? Where was their partner? What was the support system like? Nine... 9.9% of the time, it, was, it wasn't the best situation for them. And so your environment has a lot to do with how you, you know, what happened. And that's not to say that you can't be, you know, you know, someone who has family surrounding you and help all the time that you can't have PPD neither. Because I had all of the help and I was happy and I still had postpartum depression. So it can happen regardless of your scenario. But it's about recognizing it and trying to seek help before it gets too bad. Yeah, you know? Thank you for that. Down. Hold on. <laughs> and I don't have a I don't have a lot of questions with me. It's okay, we are here for that. <laughs> <laughs>